Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. He set me in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put my breath in you, put breath in you that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. I feel like right now there's so many people with so many things to say about our country and about where we are as a nation and as a people and the world in general. But I feel like maybe one thing that we're lacking is to listen and hear the voice of the Lord and to speak what He's saying. So I just want us to take a minute, if we can, right here. And, and, and listen, anybody can look around with their eyes and see dry bones. That's natural. That doesn't take faith and it doesn't take the Spirit of the living God. But it takes the Spirit of the living God to be able to see dry bones and know that there's something more there. And to hear His voice and speak what He's calling us to speak. And there's something about us joining with Him and hearing Him and declaring His Word over things that changes it. He said, I'm going to put the breath in, but the breath didn't come until the Son of Man said, come like the wind and prophesied the breath forward and then the breath of God came. And I believe that God wants to partner with this generation, with the people on the earth right now, that we would be people that would listen and hear His voice and we would prophesy the breath of God coming into dead things and making them alive again. And so I just want us to, as a church body, as a family, right now on this weekend as we celebrate our country and all things like that, I want us to just begin to speak. And not from our own eyes what we see, and not from our own emotions what we feel, but by hearing the Word of God and declaring His Word over our nation, over our people. Just begin to declare His Word. God, I thank You that You're for us and that You're not against us. That You've never left us. You've never forsaken us, God. That Your kindness is everlasting to everlasting, God. Just begin to declare out that the winds would come. That the breath of God would come. That the dry and the barren places would be filled. That the oil of the Holy Spirit would saturate and soak the dry and the barren. God, we thank you for this, God. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we get to declare and agree with you. God, that where others see death, that we would look and that we would see life. We thank you for who you are, God. God, we thank you that where others see death, we look and we see life. 
And we just right now, we prophesy to the breath of God, come like the four winds. Come like the four winds. Come like the four winds. The mighty breath. The mighty breath of God. Sweeping through every dry place, every dead place. Every place that looked like it was abandoned. Every place that looked like it was dejected. That it was forgotten, God. That Your breath would breathe. That You would come like the wind. You know... It doesn't take faith to look at where we are and make a judgment based on that. But it does take faith to look at where we are and make a judgment that's based on what He's said and what He's promised and what He's declared. And, and this is like, man, this is an exciting time because it's actually an opportunity for us to not just say what we see and not just speak out what we hear, but actually to be able to look into the situation and see and hear God and declare who He is and what He's saying in this moment. We've never had an opportunity like this before. We've never had an opportunity to love in the face of hatred like we do right now. We've never had an opportunity to prove to people that what's inside of us is the love of God and that when you squeeze us, when you push us, when you challenge us, that all we will do is cry and weep for you and love you. That we'll be hurt for you, but not hurt by you. And we will go in our room, we will get alone, and we will be on our knees asking the Father to reveal Himself to you, but we will not reveal the enemy because He's not in us and He has no part of us. You guys, the Bible calls the enemy the voice, the, bre- the accuser of the brethren. There's already someone on the earth accusing people. He doesn't need help. He doesn't need my voice. He doesn't need yours. He's really, really good at it. You've heard him. He's the one telling you you're not good enough. He's the one telling you that you've screwed up, that you've gone too far, you've done too much. He's the one telling you that God would never use you in that way when you see other people because of this and because of that. And if people really knew and all these little accusations that come to try to steal the joy of the Lord from your life, that's him. That's his voice. And right now, he's constantly accusing, constantly accusing. And God needs people on the earth that are going to speak not out of accusation, but out of conviction of God's love for them no matter what that looks like, no matter what the situation. Um, We're going to take over our offering right now real quick before we get going with the rest of the message. Um, God, I just thank You for, for blessing Your people. God, I thank You that, that we're blessed to be a blessing, God. That, that, that we have all that we have because You're such a good Father, God. And because You've entrusted us with this, we ask, God, that we would be good stewards of all that You've given God, I ask that people's businesses would be blessed because we're employees there. That our businesses would be blessed because we own them, God. Because we walk with You and because Your favor is upon us. I thank You for every person in this room growing in wisdom and in stature and favor with You and with man, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, 
So last week we, we started talking just, we've been going through covenant, we're going to continue to go through covenant. Last week we talked about just one of the benefits of, of the covenant, of, of the first steps of the covenant, which was that, that we went through the walls of blood, and, and we talked about all that, I'm not going to recap all that, and, and that there was an exchange of names where God took on our name and we took on His, the Son of God becomes the Son of Man, the sons of men become the sons of God, and, and just what that should do for us, that it should make a difference in the way that we live, and, and that it should change the way that we actually live our lives. That there should be something different now that I am in covenant with the God of the universe that was not when I was living my life outside of covenant with Him. And, and I, I talked about how like that literally will make me do things that I wouldn't have done before. And everyone remembers the example that I gave. If you guys walked out of here scarred because your pastor will eat guacamole off other people's tables, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but anyway, so... But, but really, there should be a security that comes when we know who we are in Christ and, and it should cause us to be secure people because we understand our position in Him and who we are in Him. And that should eliminate insecurity with people. Like from that day forward, it should not matter what someone's opinion of me is because I know what His opinion of me is. And if someone can't see me the way that He sees me, it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because there's something that's keeping them from seeing me the way that He created me to be. It's why I'm shocked when I find out that someone doesn't like me. it, it, It happened once in 87. Well, like I've heard a few different times from people, like I don't think that person likes you, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Well, why, why wouldn't they like me? Because I'm awesome, and not because of who I am in me, but because I'm created by the living God in His image and in His likeness and His spirits within me, and I carry a unique part of the heart of God to display to the world, and so do you." And so if somebody doesn't see you for who you are, it shouldn't cause insecurity in you. It should cause you to actually want to pray for that person that their eyes would be open to truth, that they could see you how the Father sees you. And the problem is is that most of the time when people can't see you how the Father sees you, it's because they don't see them how the Father sees them. And if we don't see ourselves the way God sees us and we're not secure in that identity, if we don't understand that we have an everlasting covenant, that He actually gave us His name, that He brought us into His family, that the walls of blood, we pass through them. We, when we pass through Jesus, remember Jesus, I am the door to the Father. He hangs on a cross with blood dripping from His hands and dripping from His forehead, just like the blood that was on the posts and the lintel over the door as the Israelites passed in through the walls of blood, just like the Red Sea opening and the Israelites passed through just like Abraham opening up the carcass of the animal and the walls, the ribs of the animal standing up and him passing through that blood. And every person that passed through, that was signifying that their past had died, that the new had come. And if I understand that and I really believe that, then that changes the way I see myself and that enables me to see others the way that God sees them because I see me as God sees me. But if not, I'll always see who I'm not in others. Rather than seeing them for who they are and appreciating that God made them as a unique expression of Himself, I'll look at them and I'll see their talents and their giftings and I'll see who I'm not rather than who He is in them. And then you get insecurity and then you get jealousy and then you get all the things that come with it and it's the biggest destroyer of human relationship on this earth, I believe, is insecurity. It's people who are insecure. People who don't know who they are and don't have the confidence of who God made them to be and that walk before Him confidently. And it will absolutely destroy relationship. 
because I'll constantly be trying to find something wrong with you to justify all the things that I see wrong with me. Because if I can find something wrong with you, then I feel a little better about everything that I see wrong with me. But if I see myself as He sees me and I see all that's right because of the blood of Jesus and who I am in Christ, then I'll begin to see that in you when I look at you and I'll see who you are in Him and I'll see everything right rather than everything wrong. And if I happen to see something wrong, love covers a multitude of sin and the only response that I would ever have is to be hurt for you, not be hurt by you. And I would pray for you and I would ask God, is that something that you want me to talk to them about? And then I would come to you fearfully and trembling in love to talk to you about this thing, not because it's who you are, but on the opposite, because it's not who you are. See, the most judgmental thing that we can do is to not say something to one of our friends who we have a relationship with that has something going on in their life that's not the heart of the Father for them. It's the most judgmental thing we can do. Why? Because the only reason I wouldn't say something to you if I hear you lie is if I think you're a liar. Because if I see you doing something that's not doesn't line up with who you are in Christ, that's not who you are. It should shock me to the point that I actually can't believe that you would do that. And I would look at you and say, "Bro, why are you? Why would you say that? That's not like that's not who you are. That's not even close." And when we think judging is to point out anything wrong, no, judging is actually to make a judgment in our mind and let somebody live a life that's below what Jesus died for them to live and allow them to continue to operate in a way that's bringing destruction and death into their life, all the while so-called loving them. I think the most unloving thing that we can do is allow somebody that we're in relationship with to live far below where Jesus died for them to live in the name of love. Jesus didn't do it with His disciples. He didn't do it with people He met. Why would we? So we talked about that. Yeah, that's a good word. But see, it's an uncomfortable word because now there's responsibility on us, right? Because now there's actually something that I have to do. There was a responsibility that came with seeing the dry bones. He said to Ezekiel, he said, Son of man, now you prophesy. This is what I'm going to do. And he lays out what he's going to do, but then he calls Ezekiel. He says, I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. I'm going to do this, but I want you to speak it. Well, if it's, God said that, he's, that He will change people by His love, that's true. And then He called us to be filled with the love of God so that through us loving people, they could be changed. It's not that we sit back and say, well, it's God's responsibility. No, the responsibility to represent the King became yours when you became one with Him and you became an ambassador for the Kingdom of God. And speaking what the King has said doesn't make you a judge. It makes you an ambassador. It's a judgment when it's your opinion. A judgment is your opinion. Speaking what the King, what the judge has already spoken just makes you a mouthpiece for Him. When we repeat and declare His words in love. And people, you know, we, we get so hung up on that. Well, it has to be in love. Well, listen, that, that's true, but guess what? There, there is no way, people are like, well, you can do one without the other. You cannot lovingly lie to somebody. There's no loving way to lie to somebody. It may be a perversion of love in your mind, and you may think that you're doing something loving, but truthfully, when you boil it down, if it's less than truth, it's not loving. Because Jesus is the way and the truth. And He is God. And God is love. So you, you can't lie to somebody lovingly. You can share the truth without love. But you can't love without the truth. Yeah? 
See, there's a reason the Bible says sharing the truth in love, not loving with the truth. Because I think that one's impossible. I think it is possible to speak truth. In other words, to declare something that God's already said without a loving intention behind it. And what's coming out of your mouth may be the truth according to His Word, but it may not be motivated by love in your heart. And you may be using it as a sword rather than as a bomb, as a salve, as something that brings healing. But it doesn't say the other way around because I think that way is impossible. I don't think that if you truly love someone that you can tell them anything less than the truth. So, we talked about all that. If you didn't hear it, we talked about just how that makes us secure in who we are and in, even in relationships and in positions and stuff like that. And I'm not going to just talk about everything, but, but here's one thing that if you will know who you are in Christ and you trust Him and you follow Him and you know that you are where you are because He placed you there, it gives you a security where you're not suspicious and jealous of other people, where you're not worried about somebody coming along and taking your place. Right? If you connive and you manipulate and you scheme and you politic and you gain what you have that way, you'll have to keep it that way. And you'll always have to look over your shoulder for somebody who's doing the same things you did to get there and maybe a little better than you. And there always will be. That's why Jesus said if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If you get there that way, you'll be taken out that way. And you'll have to stay there the whole time that you stay there by that means. That's a burden. That's work. That's why you see people burned out because they're fighting to maintain a position that they had to get by fighting to get it. There's no burnout if I am just living the life that God called me to live and I happen to end up in a position and I know that I'm there not because I wanted to be there because I desired. Now, there's nothing wrong with like saying this is something I want to do, but when our motivation and our ambition makes us go through doors that He didn't open and causes us to open doors for ourselves, we'll always know that. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. You'll always know how you got where you are. And there's a confidence that comes when I know that I got where I am because His hand was upon me and placed me there that cannot be replaced. It is priceless. Because then when things go wrong or things happen or something, a voice rises up against you, you can actually go to Him and say, God, You put me here. This was Your idea. What are we going to do? If you don't have that, what do you do when those things happen? You scheme, you manipulate, you politic, you go around and you round up support and you murmur about this person and you cut them off and you make them people have a bad man. It's, it's just horrible. It's brutal. It's destroying the body of Christ. Never, ever, ever. Ambition is a good thing. It's not a good thing if it causes us to do things outside of His plan for our lives to get somewhere that He never intended for us to be or that He intended for us to be, but not at that time. That's why it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and in due time He will exalt you. There's two parts to that. It's humbling yourself and it's trusting that He has the right time for it. Being at the wrong place at the right time is just as bad as being at the right place at the wrong time. They're just as bad. Both of them are just as frustrating. Both of them will not have the result of being at the right place at the right time would have. So if you weren't here last week, I, just, I encourage you to, 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 you can download the podcast or you can get it on outreachchurch.net because I really feel like there was some stuff in there that wasn't in my notes at all. In fact, most of it, 90% or so, wasn't. And so, um, so there's obviously a reason. I don't have a super long message this morning because there's some stuff that I want to do and because I really felt like we were supposed to do that Ezekiel thing and and I knew that, that I was, I cut my message way down this morning and I felt like God had something He wanted to do. I didn't know what. And then it came to me in worship, so I'm glad that 
that, um, that he did that. But, um, but I want to just talk this morning a little bit about the other side of that, where we talked about security with human beings and, and what that does when we're secure with people and how we can actually love and lay down our life. But I also want to talk a little bit of just about the security that we can have in the Father through knowing the covenant that we have. How we can be so secure in our relationship with him through, the, through knowing that it wasn't this, that, that Jesus didn't come and act like sin so that I could act like righteousness. That Jesus actually became sin so that I could become righteous. And that when I'm born again, I'm a new creation in Him and I have an everlasting covenant that never goes away and that never ends. And, and so, um, when, my, when my relationship with Him is based on anything other than that, then I'm only doing as good as I feel or as my performance was the day before. And I actually, can, if I'm not careful, I'll start making a list and checking it at the end of the day and figuring out if I feel worthy or not to be called His Son based on what I've done. And, and if that happens, then, then all that has to happen is something, some mistake in my life or some misunderstanding or, or even in some willful, intentional sin on my behalf. And the next thing you know, I've got this anxiety before the Father because I don't understand His heart towards me and I don't understand the covenant. And I'm like the son who was away in the pigs and said, this is horrible. It was better in my Father's house. But because I've done all this stuff, see, He judged Himself. The Father never judged Him. He never said, because you wasted my inheritance that I gave you, and because you went away and did all these wrong things, and because you have absolutely squandered everything, and you've brought dishonor to my name. He never said any of that stuff. It was all judgments the son was making, but it had the effect of keeping him in the slob with the pigs for a lot longer than was necessary because he didn't understand the heart that the father had towards him and who he was to the father. And when he finally comes to his senses somewhat, See, he doesn't come fully to his senses. If he came fully to his senses and fully understood the heart of God, he would have said, I'm a son. What am I doing living like this? I belong in my father's house. There's a place for me at the table. I'm going to go there and take my place. That would have been fully coming to his senses. But he kind of halfway came to his senses and he said, even the servants live better in my father's house than I'm living right now. I'll go to my father's house and I'll say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me as one of your hired hands. See, if we're not careful, we'll judge ourselves and we'll think there's something we have to do to earn or deserve our way back into His good graces. The problem with that is if we feel like we have to do that with the Father, we will force that on people with us. Because if I feel like I have to earn my way back into the grace and the favor of God, I will demand that people earn their way back into my grace and my favor. And it might not even be a conscious decision. But the way I relate with the Father will be the way I relate with people. It's why Jesus said, what is the greatest command? The first, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second is, like it. Why? Because the way I do this is the way that I'll do this. So if I love Him with all my heart, mind, and soul, it becomes a natural flow to love my neighbor as myself. It's the same thing. In the way that I relate with Him, I will begin to relate with people. And so if I feel like I have to earn my way back to Him, I'll demand people earn their way back to me. But notice the Father isn't standing on the porch with His arms crossed going, we'll see Look, just hold on. I know you guys want to run and put a robe on him. I know you want to put rings on his finger and you want to give sandals to him. I know that you guys see him for who he is. See, the servants would have always known that they were a son. I know that you guys see him for who he is, but let's just wait. Let's let him come back. Let's give him a little time. We'll put him on probation. 
And we'll see how he does for a while. And if he does right, and he makes right decisions, and he's really sincere, then we will go to him and we'll put a ring on his finger. And if he does good for another week, maybe we'll give him a robe. And if he does good for a while longer, we'll give him the slippers. And finally, when the probation period is over, then we'll have a party. It'll be his end of probation party. And then he can have full rights as a son. The father doesn't do that. Why? Because he's on the porch never losing sight of who the son is. See, he never saw the son as a hired hand. He never saw him as someone who had to earn his way back. And it's why he won't even let him finish his sentence. He said, Father, I've sinned before God and before you. What does he do? He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father won't hear another word because he understands. He doesn't understand my heart towards him. Let me demonstrate my heart towards him so that he doesn't say another thing out of his mouth that doesn't line up with how I feel. Before he can say, make me as one of your hired servants, he says, the father grabs him and embraces him and he puts a robe on him and he puts a ring on his finger and he puts shoes on his feet. Why? He's not interested in your plan to earn your way back. He wants nothing to do with that because that's not His plan. He doesn't even want you thinking that way. Before He could think any further down that stream, the Father cuts Him off, embraces Him, pulls Him in, and shows Him and demonstrates for the world to see who He is and how He feels about Him. And He says, let's go have a party because my Son has returned. My Son has returned. He never stopped being His Son. He just lost sight of who he was for a while and his life demonstrated that because he lived like someone who wasn't a son. It didn't change who he was. The things that you've done may not, may not look like the, like the behavior of a daughter or a son, but it has never changed your identity as a son or a daughter. And it's only the enemy that would try to keep you from coming back to him. And that's why understanding covenant is so important. Because when you became a new creation in Christ, the ability of Christ's obedience to keep you is far greater than Adam's inability to make you feel like you don't belong. The obedience of Christ is so much stronger than the disobedience of Adam. And if by one man's disobedience the many became sinners, how much more than through the obedience of the one man Christ shall all become, shall the many be made righteous. Be made righteous. Not act righteous. See, if we don't understand that, we'll be so wishy-washy and up and down. And you've lived that life before because we all have at some point, right? Before we understood the heart of the Father towards us where we're on this roller coaster. And it's like, man, when I'm doing good and I, I feel like when I'm doing well, right? We go seeking a crown and we're thinking, I got this figured out, this Christian life thing. I got this pretty well, you know, I, I think I've got this thing down. And we feel really good and then all of a sudden we make a mistake, we screw up and we're down in the dumps going, I'm just, uh, man, I, I am not even worthy to be called His Son. What a travesty to the blood of Jesus for us to declare that we're not worthy of something that He died to make us worthy of. You guys, I, I say that seriously because it's a serious thing because it's not a light thing. Sacrificing the son of, uh, His own Son and the blood of His Son for our life lived is not a little deal. It's not a light thing. And what a travesty it is and what a mockery it is to the blood of Jesus for us to declare that we're not worthy of something that His blood says that we are. It doesn't change whether we're worthy or not just because we say that, oh, I'm no longer worthy. You know what? That, that didn't make Him a servant any more than turning around three times and saying there's no place like home. It didn't change for a second. However, when he believed that, he lived like it was true. And the love of the Father was always towards him. But it didn't stop him from having his, his decision and his free will to live less than a son. 
And he did it. I've done it. You've done it. But if we would understand this thing when we make a mistake or when we screw up, or you know, even when we're guilty of just something like we feel bad because we haven't given him our attention the way that we know that we should or the way we even want to. See, our hearts are changed, so we have this desire to be with him. And sometimes we get distracted by other things and then we feel guilty because we feel like, man, I didn't do the thing that I know I want to do. It's not about sinning. You guys, we've got to stop making it about did I sin or did I not today. It's about there's so many good things out there, but I want to choose the best thing. It's Mary and Martha. It's not a sin to do dishes, but it's wrong to do dishes when the Son of God is sitting in your house talking to you. See, that's what the Christian life becomes. It's not about, you know, is it sin? If you're having to ask yourself if it's a sin or not, run from it. Because if it's close enough to being not the will of the Father that you're questioning if it's sin or not, just don't do it. There's a great idea. You'll never have to, you'll never look back and regret not doing that thing that you thought might be sin. I'm serious. Like, if it's that close to being sin, even if it isn't, it's not his best. It's not about like how close can I walk to this thing and still feel like I'm not sinning. It's about how close can I come to Him and know Him. That's the goal. He's the goal. He's the standard. And so, when we have that security with the Father, I, th- I think it, it, you'll, um, we see it play out in Mark chapter 16. It's just real quick, this verse. Because I feel like God wants to do some things in, um, in some people. We're going to have some time for, for prayer and stuff like that. But if you turn there, um, it's just a, just a short verse. It says, um, in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, um, it's when Mary and the, the women have come to the grave. And he says, the angel's talking, he says, well, they saw a man sitting there, a young man in, in a white robe, and he speaks to them and he says, you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. And then he says this, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Why did he say, go tell his disciples and Peter, when Peter was included in his disciples? I think it's because he understood that Peter would feel so ashamed because he had betrayed him that in his mind, he would disassociate himself from being a disciple of God. And if she said, Jesus said to tell all the disciples to come because Peter had, had not followed him in that moment because Peter had three times denied him, Peter would disqualify himself from the group and not go with them to go see Jesus because of how he felt. And Jesus is saying, listen to me, I don't care that you failed me and betrayed me three times I still want relationship with you I still love you and I still include you among my friends and among my brothers and among my disciples and so that you will know that I'll call you by name so go tell the disciples I'm stepping on $800 equipment up here (laughs) go tell the disciples and Peter see I know I could just I know, but I do CrossFit, so you know I caught my balance really quickly. Got to work that into every message somehow, right? You don't go to the gym and work that hard to not let people know about it. Yeah, you, you notice that people will do that. I mean, you can tell when someone just started working out because they'll work it into everything. You're like, hey, could you pass the ketchup, man? That ketchup's red. You know what gets red? My face when I'm at CrossFit working hard. Like, they'll just work it in. You know what I mean? They will find a way. You're going to know. So I'm a pastor and I have the microphone. You're going to know I do CrossFit. But see, here's the thing. 
if we would really actually do it, people would be able to tell without you having to say something to them. And if the only way you know that I work out is because I told you, how hard am I really working out? That could apply to a lot of things. I'll just let that hang, just let that marinate there for a second. But, but think about this, okay? So Peter feels like he's betrayed Jesus. And, and he says, go tell Peter, my disciples and Peter that I'm here for that. And see, this exposes a fundamental difference in the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of the world says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It doesn't even have a line for fool me thrice. But if it did, it would be like, get away from me, Peter. Right? Like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, get away, Peter. I know, God gave that to me just now. I'm pretty proud of that. Let me bask in that one for a minute. No, but really, think about it. Like, we say things like, once you lose my trust, you can never get it back. Or, trust is so easy to earn and so hard to get back once it's lost. Or, I may forgive you, but I'll never trust you that way again. And here's Peter who three times in less than a day denies Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does when he comes back is, I want to make sure that the person who denied me and the one who feels like he's not even worthy to be called one of my disciples is there because there's some things I want to entrust to him. Think about this. Three times he denies Peter. Yet, he's entrusted with the first message of salvation ever preached. He's called the Apostle to the Jews who are God's chosen people. And he's entrusted with the vision on the rooftop that says that God has cleansed and made clean all things and sent to preach the Gospel to Cornelius' household. Three huge responsibilities given to the man who three times denied Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is so much more confident in His ability to make Peter become who He was created to be than He is in Peter's ability to screw it up if Peter would just yield himself to Him. How did Jesus know it was time to give Peter those responsibilities? This is when I believe it was. When He put His coat on and jumped into the water and swam while the rest of the disciples stayed in the boat because He wanted to be with Jesus so badly. And Jesus sees that and sees His heart. It's just like the father watching the prodigal son. It's that moment where it's like, I see clearly and I'm so drawn, I can't stay away. And I'm not sitting in the boat feeling like I'm not worthy and I've disappointed you too badly. All I know is I see you and I want you and I'm coming for you even if it means i got to swim with my clothes on while the rest of the people bring the boat in. And God says, that's my son. Here, Peter, for every time you denied me, I'm going to re- give you a responsibility that is yours and yours alone. You're going to be the one to declare the first message of salvation and th- see 3,000 people give their lives to, to me. You're going to be the one that I call the disciple, the apostle to the Jews who are my people. I'm going to entrust you with the gospel of reconciliation to bring to my chosen people. Peter, And oh, by the way, while you're on the rooftop seeking me, I'm going to show you something that is going to change the theology of every person from that day forward that says what God has cleansed that no man call unholy. See, if that's us, we make Peter earn it back for at least a week for each time he missed it. 
Or we say things like, well, I just can't trust you. Why can't you trust them? Is because when we say I can't trust you and I won't trust you, what we're saying is when I give my trust to you, when you don't do what is right and what you're supposed to, I'm so not okay that it destroys me and I would rather not trust you than risk being destroyed again. And all we're doing when we say that is to prove that we're in it for ourselves. And Jesus is in it for others. Why? He's entrusting Peter with these things because he wants to see Peter become who he created him to become, not because he's sure that Peter will never fail again. Well, they, they, I trusted them once and then they, and all I'm saying is, is that I'm not okay and my ability to be okay is only as good as their ability to keep the promise that they made. And I'm so fragile that if you break that promise, it destroys me and my heart can't take it, so I'm going to build a wall and I'm going to say, well, you broke my trust and I'm not going to trust you anymore. What, where is that biblical and, and where can we find that in the gospel? See, because my, my Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. If God is no longer holding people's mistakes and judging them by the things that they've done wrong, what right do we have to pick up where He stopped and start doing it on our own? You don't don't understand what people did. No, here's the problem. is that you don't understand what Jesus did. Or you wouldn't find those words in your mouth so easily. Because if you really understood that in the face of the greatest betrayal, Jesus looked at you in your worst moment when your back was as hard turned to Him as you possibly thought it could be in your wildest moment of rebellion and your nastiest moment of sin, God looked at you and said, He's worth the life of My Son. When you understand that, you have a hard time looking at people when they're doing something wrong and thinking that they're not worth your time. Think about this. He entrusted you with the life of His Son long before you did one thing to show Him that you would deserve it, take it seriously, accept it, or never mess up again. Long before you proved any of those things, He entrusted you with the life of His Son. He said, His life lived is worth my Son's life lost. And He made that exchange. Why in the world would we take a position higher than the fathers and begin to hold things that people have done wrong against them and demand that they prove themselves before we would once again trust them. Why? Because we're in it for us. It's just that simple, honestly. If I'm unwilling to trust somebody, it's because I'm afraid that what they will do with that trust will hurt me. Well, if I'm complete and satisfied in Him and I don't need someone to perform a certain way to be okay, how can they hurt me if they don't do what I want them to do? That's not love. That's manipulation anyways. Well, I'll trust you with this as long as you promise not to... God never said, I'll send my son as long as you promised that and gave us a big list. He said, I'll send my son even if you don't. I'll love you even if you don't. Even if you never take it seriously, even if you never accept the offer of the free gift of salvation that my son died to give, I think that the chance at relationship with you is worth the life of my son and I'll send him to give his life long before you actually turn and start looking towards me. 
See, if we are secure in who we are in the Father and we understand the covenant that we have with Him and what that means, then we will never again look at people and be so disappointed in them because our hope is not in them, it's in Him. And here's the thing, if I'm doing that, and this is an important qualifier to this, that's why it's so important that I'm only doing what I hear the Father Alright, only doing what I see the Father do, and I'm only saying what I hear the Father saying, and that I'm being led and guided by His Spirit. Because if I'm being led and guided by His Spirit, and He tells me to entrust myself or something to somebody, I don't have to take the responsibility for what they do with that. He does. And I'm confident that He who began the good work in them will be faithful to bring it to completion. And so rather than looking around and deciding whether it was worth it or not based on what they're doing, I decide whether it was worth it or not based on what He was saying. And I'm only called to obedience. I'm not called to the results. And I can relax and I can rest in Him and say, God, I was obedient to do what You called me to do and I'm entrusting that You will complete the good work that You began in them even when it looks otherwise. See, that's Jesus. He knows that God called Him to call Peter. He knows that the Father said, You're Peter the rock even when He's the shaky reed. Because he's only saying what he hears the Father say and he's only doing what he sees the Father do, he has a supreme confidence that it's not him that has to make it happen, but that he can entrust that the Father who began this good work in Peter will bring it to completion even when he sees Peter deny him to a little girl. Weren't you with Jesus? I don't know the man. Yeah, you were with him. I do not know him. Okay? Leave me alone. No, I think I saw you as disciples. It says, and Jesus looked out and saw Peter. It wasn't enough that Peter actually did what he said. The enemy made sure that, that Jesus could actually see the denial and the betrayal going on. Why? Because if that was a normal human being, that would have destroyed and crushed him and he would have became selfish and self-righteous and thought, after everything I've done for Peter, how dare he do that to me? This plan hasn't changed a whole lot with me and you. He wants us to put our confidence in everything but God because everything but God can be shaken. God wants us to put our confidence in Him because He's the only thing that can never be shaken. And if my trust is in Him, you can't disappoint me because my hope's not in you. It's in Him. And so even when you do something that looks disappointing, I trust myself to Him. That's why it says, let this example be in you which was also in Christ who when He was reviled offered nothing in return. Who when they mocked Him did not speak back against them. Who when they tortured and beat Him He didn't offer up defense. Why? He kept entrusting Himself to the One who judges righteously. In other words, he's looking at God. He's saying, listen, they're, they're mocking me. They're spitting on me. They're beating me. These are the people I'm going to give my life for. Right now, it doesn't look worth it. But I'm not going to make that judgment because I'm entrusting myself to you because I trust your power to make what you wanted to accomplish come to happen more than I trust my ability to see things and determine whether or not it's actually going to come to pass. I'm not going to judge if it's worth it or not based on their reaction. I'm going to judge whether it's worth it or not based on what you said. And I'm going to believe even when they deny me, even when they spit on me, even when they call me names, and even when they beat me, I'm going to absolutely entrust myself to you and know that you'll judge righteously because you spoke. And that brings us back to what we were talking about yesterday. And I want to just close up with this. And, and then I want to have some time for prayer because, um, because I honestly feel like... One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to make us disappointed with God. 
is to make us discouraged with Him, is to make us feel like maybe we've done too much or people have done too much or God has let us down or God has failed us. And it's to make us not secure in who we are in Christ, to make us feel like He looks at us differently. It's the, it's the younger son syndrome. It's the, I can't believe I'm here and I did all these things wrong. I'm no longer worthy to be called His son. And we make that judgment about ourselves. He never does. But if you make that judgment about yourself, you can actually live less than the life that He died for you to live. And you can live as though you're not a son even though He's never stopped seeing you as one. And you can find yourself in with the pigs. In the mud. Starving. All because you think that God sees you the way that you see you. And then you'll start seeing other people the way that you think that God sees you and you'll find everything wrong with them. Because all you're aware of is everything wrong with you. And that can change in an instant when you understand the covenant that you have with the Father and you understand that He sees everything that's right in you and frees you up to see everything right in other people. Does that mean you never see something wrong? No, it just means when you see something wrong, you understand that's not who they are and that's not that big a deal. That doesn't define them. They're not a liar because they lied. They're not a screw-up because they screwed up. They're not a failure because they failed. They're a son, they're a daughter, and greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world, and that God will be faithful to complete the work he began in them. So I just want to do this if um if you feel like you've betrayed God. He gave me uh, this to, to pray this today and, and, and to pray for this specific group of people. If you feel like you have betrayed or let God down if you feel like you've disappointed Him. And I'm not just saying like, oh yeah, one time I did. No, I'm saying like right now, if while I'm talking, you know that in your heart you feel like you've either betrayed Him, disappointed Him, or let Him down, and that you failed, and that you're no longer worthy to be called a son or a daughter. If that's you, I ask that you'd be brave enough and just stand up right where you are because we want to pray with you. If you feel like you've betrayed Him, yeah. If you feel like you've let Him down, if you feel like He's disappointed in you, if you've done something that's made you no longer worthy to be called His Son, and it's actually keeping you from being able to see Him as the loving Father, and you are going to thinking of ways, and you've thought of ways to try to work your way back into His graces, we want to pray over you today. Is there anybody else before we start to pray? And that thought's crept into your mind that you've done too much, you've screwed up too much, you've betrayed Him. Oh, Peter, are you kidding me? You didn't just betray Him once, you betrayed Him three times. Maybe once I can understand Him forgiving you. Maybe even twice, but three times, Peter? Three times? You're not worthy to be called His son, never mind the, the, the apostle to His people. I wouldn't trust you with a tricycle, never mind the gospel of reconciliation. That's what he'll say. Why? Because he can't change God's mind about you, so his next best effort is to change your mind about the Father. And to make you think that he's thinking things about you that he never is. Because he said that you're in Christ and his words over the Son are, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Does that mean he's well pleased with everything you've done? No. It just means he doesn't see you for what you've done. He sees you for who you are and he's well pleased. I don't love everything that my son does, but I love him while he's doing everything he's done. And I've never stopped loving him while he's doing the things he's done that I don't love. Because I know that's not who he is. Because I see him for who he is and not his mistakes. So is there anybody else real quick? 
I'm going to ask people just, just wherever you are, just the church body, if you see people standing around you, would you just come over to them and put your hands on them? We're going to pray over them. We're going to pray that the voice of the accuser would be silenced forever in their head that says that they're no longer worthy to be called His Son, that they've done too much, that they've betrayed Him, that they've turned their back, that how would God ever trust you when you've done fill in the blank? We break that in Jesus' name. We break that lie right now in Jesus' name that says that you're no longer worthy to be called His Son. In Jesus' name, we break that and we speak the truth that says that He knows that He who has called you and He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God, I thank You that You're faithful even when we're not. God, that when we're faithless, You're faithful. God, that You're confident in Your ability to transform us more than our ability to screw it up. That You see the sacrifice of Your Son Jesus and You know that His blood is enough and You'll have nothing to do with our plan to work our way back. I thank You for that, God. God, I thank You right now for shame, guilt, condemnation, all those things to leave in Jesus' name. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. I thank You for that, Father. I thank You that the blood of Jesus cries out mercy where the blood of Abel demanded justice. And that grace has come. Grace. True grace. Not the, the permission to live in sin, but the power to be transformed. Not an excuse to live less than Jesus died for us to become, but the power to live the life that He died so that we could live. That grace is the transformation power of God, not the excuse to stay untransformed. Father, we thank You for that revelation right now. God, I thank You right now. I thank You, God, just for the heart of the Father being placed back into the heart of the Son. That they understand right now that they've never stopped being your son. They've just stopped seeing themselves the way that you see them. And that right now, the way you see them would be burned into their eyes and they would see themselves as sons and as daughters of God. There would never be another thing that could cause them to see themselves less than who they are in Christ. In Jesus' name, Unworthiness, go in Jesus' name. Shame, go in Jesus' name. Insecurity, go in Jesus' name. That there would never be another insecure thought that tells us that we are less than the Father says that we are. There would never be another insecure thought that will allow us to see ourselves less than you see us. That we would never settle for a price less than the blood of Jesus when we look at our value and our worth. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we thank You. In Jesus' name. God, I thank You right now that You will be faithful to complete the work that You've began in people's hearts today. God, I thank You for a fresh revelation in all of our hearts of who we are in You. God, for a security that comes upon us as we see ourselves as sons and daughters. I thank You for that. In Jesus' name.